This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. The Golden Edge Podcast is brought to you by the DeCastroverde Law Group. Our motivation is you. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey i am one of your golden knights beat writers ben goats on the other line as he always is is my colleague dave shane uh dave the two of us will indeed be working on a thursday night because the vancouver canucks have forced a game six in this series uh what what magical thursday night plans did you have to cancel oh uh, you know had some cool TV shows, you know, I had recorded, you know, a couple fishing episodes, um, catching up on uh, some old like diners, drive-ins and dives episode. You know, I had, I had a jam-packed night. This is really getting in the way. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Uh, same here. I am a huge fan of ABC's hit mini golf show, Holy Moly, with uh, Rob Riggle and Joe Tessitore. It's on Thursday nights. It's magical. I don't even know if there's a new episode on Thursday, but I just assume there is, uh, that now I'm going to have to, you know, Hulu it like the millennial that I am. But whatever, it's fine. We're going to talk about hockey because there's still going to be hockey left in the Golden Knights second round series against the Canucks. And that's okay, too. Uh, Before we get started, I want to uh, remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by the DeCastro Verde Law Group, and we are presented by DoorDash, Sunday Ticket, and Favor, drinkafavor.com. Also, make sure to check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We're coming at you guys with multiple stories every day, uh, covering this series, Bubble Life, whatever you want to read about the Golden Knights and the NHL right now. And of course, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, do to this one, it would be much appreciated. Uh, so let's talk about the series that the Golden Knights are still very much in. We last talked to you guys on Friday, but that was a special episode we recorded to talk about the NHL players essentially striking on Thursday and Friday to protest racial injustice and police brutality. 
Uh, the episode before that, we talked to you guys when this series was still 1-1 with each team taking one of the first two games. Uh, since then, things pretty much have largely tilted the Golden Knights way, uh, except for last night. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and of course, Tuesday night, uh, rookie Thatcher Demko came off the bench with a 42-save performance to steal Game 5 for the Vancouver Canucks. Before that, the Golden Knights won on a back-to-back night, Saturday and Sunday, to go up 3-1 in the series. And then, of course, they couldn't close the Canucks out yesterday. I think it obviously has to be frustrating for the Knights that this series is going to have a sixth game at 6.45 p.m. Thursday. You can watch it, by the way, on NBCSN or listen to it on Fox Sports Radio. It certainly would have been ideal for the Knights to finish things early, get some extra rest, especially because... Uh, If they were to win their potential opponent in the Western Conference Final, either Dallas or Colorado, is playing a six-game tonight, and that series could, of course, still go seven as well. So the Knights could have bought themselves some extra time, some extra rest. Instead, Thatcher Demko basically says, no, we're going to keep playing at least one more night here. Uh, Despite the loss, though, Dave, if you're Pete DeBoer, I mean, what's your level of concern with the Canucks in this series right now? I mean, I'd rather be up 3-2 than down 3-2. So I guess my level of concern would be, you know, proportional to that. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, overly worried. I, I think, you know, I look at it from the sense of they didn't drop a stinker. They didn't come out in an elimination game and just get outplayed, you know, throw up 24 shots and just coast through it, think it was going to be easy or something like that. They totally dominated the game. It was you know, completely lopsided on the shot chart and the goalie played well. Uh, That's kind of what you have to chalk it up to. They get a paycheck too. I love that phrase. So I I don't think I'd be too concerned. You know, I still feel like Travis Green on the other side is the one having to react and make changes to what the Golden Knights are presenting as opposed to the other way around. I don't feel like other than maybe a goalie decision, uh, potentially going into game six that, that if you're Pete DeBoer, you have to change a lot. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say my level of concern is very high, maybe a four, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. You mentioned the shot clock shots on goal were 43 to 17 in favor of the golden Knights in game five. The game really played out kind of almost exactly like the golden Knights game four against the Chicago Blackhawks in round one where the Knights were peppering Corey Crawford with shots, and he just decided that he wasn't going to lose. The Golden Knights lost that game 3-1, thanks to a late empty net goal. Uh, The Golden Knights maybe should have lost Game 5 last night, 3-1, thanks to an empty net goal, but the uh, NHL just kind of hand-waved that with, "Ah, yeah, it's fine. The result's the result's. Uh, We're not going to review whether Bo Horvat's late empty net goal win in the net or not. But either way, it was a game where, you know, as Pete DeBoer kind of said afterwards, you know, you can't overreact. Sure, it stinks to lose, but we controlled that game. We're going to win that game way more often than we're going to lose it. And we just kind of have to shrug it off and move on and trust that the same level of effort will get us game six and close out the series then. Uh, What was interesting to me, though, Dave, is... You know, whether or not this result is going to breed any sort of confidence in the Canucks. Because to be perfectly honest, it seemed like for two periods there that the Canucks were very content to kind of 
leave the bubble. There certainly wasn't a big elimination game push for the Canucks in periods one and periods two. And of course, that's a large credit to the Knights and how dominant they were on the puck. But it really did feel like Travis Green walked into the Canucks locker room during the second intermission and said, hey, you guys know that we still have a chance to win this game, right? And then Vancouver was kind of like, oh, yeah, we do. And then played much better in the third and managed to win the game. But do you think there's any sort of chance we get a renewed push or a renewed sense of life now from the Canucks now that they've won a second game this series? Potentially. I mean, let me go back to the goal first because I've seen some video and I know it's important when you live in Vegas. There's a lot of implications, certainly the sports books and you can't do it here, but daily fantasy players and, and all that sort of stuff. The video I've seen some video that showed that it actually didn't cross the line um, before it hitting hitting zero. So, you know, maybe it actually shouldn't have counted and maybe they did get it correct. I don't know. But it, to answer the question about the Canucks, you know, we'll see. I think a lot of that is is exactly like you described. You know, th- their level of belief kind of went and, and grew as the game went along and they saw Thatcher Demko making more and more saves. I, I still feel like if you're the Knights, you lean on the fact that you dominated the game, you outplayed them, you figure you're going to get more chances. I think what will be interesting is if for some reason Thatcher Demko plays or Jacob Markstrom comes back in or whatever happens, if the Canucks find another game and they get this thing to 3-3 and then all of a sudden the Knights start thinking about last year and not hanging on to a 3-1 lead against the Sharks and all the sorts of things that creep into your mind and the doubt that sort of enters, you know, when when you've lost two straight and you had a 3-1 lead. So that, I think, will be the thing. If you're the Knights, you want to get this thing done. You want to come out in game six and, you know, I'm not going to use the same uh, metaphor that Riley Smith did because I'll be sensitive to the times, but you want to get this thing over. No, totally agreed, and it'll be interesting to see, of course, if they can get it over when game six rolls around on Thursday. Uh, Next up, I want to hit a couple storylines from the series, uh, some that have definitely emerged or at least emerged even larger uh, since we last spoke some hockey. Uh, The biggest one is Shea Theodore. Uh, So for those that do not know, Theodore now has a seven-game point streak with two goals and eight assists in that time. He's tied for first in postseason goals by a defenseman with five and is second as we're recording this in points by a defenseman with 15, I believe. He is just behind Dallas's Miro Heiskanen. Uh, The Knights have outscored teams 20-7 to at 5-on-5 in the playoffs with Shea Theodore on the ice. Uh, That is, you know, the best on the team, that plus kind of 13 5-on-5 mark there. His defense partner, Alec Martinez, is plus 9 at 5-on-5, and no one else on the Knights is better than plus 5. Mark Stone said Shea Theodore is becoming a, quote, Norris-caliber defenseman uh, after Game 4, and then Coach Pete DeBoer said he definitely thinks Theodore is going to be in that Norris conversation for years to come as well. Uh, so my question to you, Dave, uh, is this real? Is what we're seeing from Shea Theodore as this you know Norris caliber guy uh, who he's actually going to be moving forward in the future? Or do we all just have bubble goggles on right now? <laughs> bubble goggles, that's great. I love that. Thank you. Uh, no, I mean, I think maybe a little bit. You know, there's a lot of spotlight on it, and everybody's focus is is on the games going on. So, 
you know, you're getting a lot of additional media attention from, you know, Canadian media and, and those markets, things like that. Sure. You know, maybe a little bit, but it's also warranted. Uh, what's interesting to me, and I've had this conversation with a couple people and, and I'd love to have it, you know, back and forth a little bit with you. It's so hard to be a Norris, I guess, quote unquote, finalist candidate, whatever it is, because there's so many good candidates. I mean, we, we both joked and I know I wrote about this, but you know, whatever you think of the NHL network in a top 20 list, like Shea Theodore was number 20 on there. And you can argue that he's probably more closer to 10 than 20 and whatever, but it just goes to show how stiff the competition is for an award like that. It's a big group of really good defensemen that he's in the mix win with. And there's three young ones coming up too between Hughes and Heskinen and Makar, you know, plus all the guys that are, that are established. So it'll be fun to watch because I think if there's another step in him, if he plays for an entire season, the way that he did from like mid December through the, you know, until the season was paused, then he's absolutely going to be in that mix because he's going to be approaching 60, maybe exceeding 60 plus points. And you get into that territory then you're talking, you know, elite company and, and guys who are Norris finalists and guys who will be, you know, in consideration for the Olympic, you know, team down the road for Team Canada and things like that. So if there's another step there, yeah, we could see it. But but he's definitely making a name for himself. This is definitely kind of the the coming out party, I guess you could say, for Shea Theodore right now in the postseason. Yeah, it totally is. And I think, you know, your point is a good one of like, it's really hard to be, you know, specifically a Norris Trophy finalist. Um, I mean, this year we've seen John Carlson had a just record-setting offensive season for the Washington Capitals, and he's a finalist. Uh, Roman Yossi, who was the Canucks, or not Canucks, the Predators' leading scorer is one of the other finalists. Victor Hedman, who's just phenomenal for the Tampa Bay Lightning, is one. And then there's other guys in the mix, like Alex Petrangelo of the St. Louis Blues, who's about to be a UFA. Uh, Jacob Slavin of the Carolina Hurricanes, I think is a really, really good defenseman. And then there's all those young guys that, along with Theodore that you mentioned, are going to be making a push. Um, But to me, you know, bottom line is not whether Shea Theodore ultimately is in the top three of the Norris Trophy voting or anything next year. Uh, I think the big takeaway is actually something that you wrote about and something that you teased your big feature on Theodore the other day at ReviewJournal.com with, which is, you know, the kind of criticism for the Knights, especially that inaugural season when they made the run to the Stanley Cup final, and certainly even last year and kind of coming into this year as well, is, you know, do they have that true number one defenseman? Do they have that guy that's going to potentially play, you know, 25 minutes a night and play both ways and really be, you know, difficult to take off the ice and have a guy who's really going to create a lot of headaches for the other team? And right now, Shea Theodore is absolutely that guy. He's absolutely worthy of the label number one defenseman. Now, look, he's not playing, you know, minutes against the top players on the other team all the time necessarily. I mean, Schmidt and McNabb are kind of still shouldering most of the defensive load. But, I mean, all Shea Theodore is doing when he is on the ice is just dominating, and he's completely tilting, you know, the ice. The Knights are controlling possession so, so much when he's out there. I mean, I brought up those five-on-five stats. And his five-on-five kind of, you know, goals for, goals for, against 
are stronger than his teammates for a reason, and that's just because he's in a zone right now and he can create his own offense as well as create offense for his teammates with how well he can move and skate with the puck. And so, you know, like I said, for the Knights, ultimately, whether he wins a Norris as a finalist for a Norris is a secondary thing to the idea that you have your number one defenseman. Now, he's a guy that's under contract at a very reasonable rate for years to come as well. And, you know, he absolutely is someone that if you're, you know, general manager Kelly McCrimmon, you are thrilled that you get to build your blue line around. Yeah, I was just going to say I was going to bring up the contract. Like, that's such a huge win for the Knights because you go back and you think about, you know, Shea Theodore and his agent, his side wanted a bridge deal. They wanted a two-year deal, basically, and and then come back and revisit it. They figured we're going to be, you know, we being him and his agent, um, put up a big year and, and, and worth more money and cash in. And the Knights wanted to sign him long-term. And I guess you could say they, you know, maybe won that negotiation because him locked up for five more years at 5.2 million total bargain because he's absolutely their number one defenseman right now. And like you said, it doesn't always mean, you know, he's matched up against the top players. It's been interesting to see, you know, how the Knights have done it you know, especially when they've had the last change in this series. And Alec Martinez and Shea Theodore have been out against Elias Pettersson's line a lot. And now whether it's interesting because do you view that as the number one line or you, do you view, you know, Bo Horvat, JT Miller as the number one line and who's getting that, who's the shutdown. You know, it, it, like you said, it all doesn't matter because right now the way things are working and the way that Pete DeBoer is kind of, deploying ice time and when, when they're behind, especially or in a close game, he's leaning heavily on Shade Theodore. And, and like you said, and, and like I tried to tease, I mean, it's clear right now he is, you know, their guy, he's the number one defenseman that they were trying to find for all those years, Eric Carlson and whatever, you know, he was right there all along. No, absolutely. And just for context for people, uh, you know, Roman Yossi, who's one of the Norris trophy finalists this year, uh, signed an extension this year that's worth about $9 million uh, in average annual value. You know, Theodore probably wouldn't be able to ask for quite that much, but that's still, you know, a pretty huge gulf between kind of maybe what the ceiling for his next contract could have been and, of course, where his contract actually will be at for many years to come. You've counted on restaurants. Now... They're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, Select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. 
Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, and we you know, mentioned this in our preview, we brought it up a lot talking about not just this series, but kind of how the Knights have been successful this entire postseason, and that is the secondary scoring edge that they possess. The Canucks, Dave, do not have a single point from their bottom six forwards this series. You can kind of tweak that a little bit because, you know, right wing Brock Besser played, I believe, a game or two on the third line, but uh, he did not get his point there necessarily. He got his first point on the power play, and then he scored a goal last night on the top line. So the Canucks are just getting zero production from their bottom lines. Uh, Meanwhile, the Knights have nine points from their bottom six. Uh, Alex Tuck has three goals. Chandler Stevenson has another one. And, you know, we've said it just so, so often, but that's the edge that the Knights have on other teams. Their depth and the four dangerous forward lines that they're able to roll out. And obviously those four goals are a huge swing point in this series. And if the Knights can continue to be kind of plus four, uh, you know, bottom six versus bottom six, they're going to be really successful this postseason. So there was a really good question that was asked a couple of the Canucks players, Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle, along those lines about their depth scoring and, and you know, getting that production. And, and part of the question was, is, is that because the Canucks bottom six has more of a defensive role? And it was interesting because Jay Beagle kind of gave – a nodding, you know, like a, a nod of approval, like, like, okay, whoever asked the question, and I wish I, I remember which media member uh, asked the question because it was almost like a nod of approval, like a compliment, like, okay, yeah, you do understand. So what I'll say is, and where I'm going with this, is that I think the Canucks bottom six is intended to be a little more defensive and maybe not score as much. The flip side to that is what the Knights have been able to do now is create a top nine. And they've been trying for years and years and all off season, you know, whatever, always trying to get something and, and create scoring out of a third line. And they've finally found an identity. They finally have, you know, a guy who, like Pete DeBoer said, and Max Pacioretty joked about, you know, is, is an X factor, Alex Tuck. I, it was a great point that Pete DeBoer brought up about, a third line and the effect that it can have in the postseason. And he used the example of Phil Kessel in the 2016 Stanley Cup run for Pittsburgh that ultimately ended with them beating San Jose when Pete DeBoer was behind the bench. But Phil Kessel, who's like a six-time 30-goal scorer and is approaching 400 goals in his career, was playing on the third line then, the HBK line. And it just kind of worked out that way. They found chemistry and 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 whatever but that's what happens in the playoffs you 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 just you find things and then all of a sudden they they become you know the the key element the missing factor and the difference in a series alex tuck right now in his production down there and just more so what he 
brings every time he's on the ice. He's such a threat. He changes the momentum and and what the Canucks try to do. He changes the matchup and what what the Canucks have to have to have on on the ice. And and if the Knights are able to continue to roll four lines and and get production out of that third line, and especially if it's Alex Tuck doing it, it it changes the the look going forward because if you're scouting them all of a sudden they have a whole other problem that, that, that you have to account for. And, and you may not be able to match up against. Yeah. The HBK line for those that don't know, composed of uh, Carl Hagelin, Nick Benino and Phil Kessel for that 2016 Pittsburgh Penguins team that won the Stanley cup. Uh, Hagelin had 16 points in the playoffs, Bonino 18 and Kessel 22. I believe they were the highest producing line actually. On that they Penguins were. team yeah, that won were. the Stanley Cup. And that, of course, is uh, a franchise that has guys named Crosby and Malkin. Uh, for those that were, you know, maybe unaware of the kind of talent that the Pittsburgh Penguins boast. So, you know, DeBoer's been pointing to, you know, that and kind of similar teams to say, that's how important that our third line is because teams that go far in the playoffs have that line. The Knights' third line currently doesn't have uh, a kind of catchy nickname yet, but DeBoer's pointed to them, you know, pretty regularly as kind of the the group that's going to make a difference in helping push this team far in the playoffs. And he's said a couple times that he thinks it's been their most consistent line, and that Nick Waugh is really emerging into his own late in uh, his rookie year, really, because we're looking at basically almost a full year since he appeared in the Golden Knights kind of rookie camp, and of Nick Cousins, who also has performed well in the playoffs. Uh, Then the last thing I kind of want to touch on in terms of kind of series storylines is the goaltending. And I don't even want to make this, you know, another Marc-Andre Fleury versus Robin Leonard discussion because we've had that plenty of times, and, you know, really it's pretty settled at this point. Leonard appears to be the clear number one now I know you kind of alluded to this Dave and maybe we can get to it of whether he'll still go back in for game six not only just because of his performance even though he's pretty much fine yesterday but because of the schedule and how that might affect things Um, but for the most part Leonard has been the number one and the team is really putting its faith in him but what I think is interesting to talk about in context of this series is just how well those two have worked together as a pair because DeBoer kind of stuck with the same game plan he used in round one, where on the back-to-back Saturday and Sunday, he started uh, Leonard once, and then he started Flurry once. And then meanwhile, on the other side, the Canucks started Jacob Markstrom twice, lost both games, and then lost him for game five because uh, I believe, you know, the kind of uh, media reports that were out there on Twitter and everything were that you know, Markstrom was either sore or suffered some type of injury. And, you know, basically I think you could list him on the injury report as a bad back from carrying his team for so long because he played in the Canucks' first 13 playoff games and played both nights of a back-to-back three times, uh, including that last one against the Knights. So it's no kind of wonder that maybe he needed a night off Tuesday in Game 5. No, certainly it worked out fine for Vancouver because Thatcher Demko came in and gave them a great performance. But I'm guessing the Canucks probably weren't thrilled pregame about starting their backup in an elimination game. 
So I think that's something that's, you know, made pretty clear how nice the Knights have it now with both of those guys in Leonard and Flurry, that they don't have to overwork someone, especially in the condensed schedule of this NHL postseason. Um, it really is a benefit to kind of have that depth uh, in this crazy year, Dave. I think I'm not 100% on this, and I should have looked it up. I apologize. But I think I saw a stat that there have been 39 starting goaltenders in this postseason, which is an all-time high. I think I saw the number before was 27. And I'm not 100% on that. And obviously, bigger field, you know, you had 16 or you, you previously had 16 teams. You had 24 playing this year. So, you know, there's a lot of different things into that. I don't know exactly what that number entailed. But I think what it does sort of show is the willingness a lot of teams have have had or, or, or also done, you know, to use both goaltenders. A couple of them have been forced into it, whether it's been injury, you know, in the case of Boston with, you know, a goaltender leaving for family emergency, uh, you know, but there's been a willingness and a change seemingly in philosophy with a lot of coaches now to rely on on two goaltenders and when these back-to-backs come you just you play the second goaltender and there's no question about it and he has to be good and in the case of the Knights you look at some of these other teams like you know the Avalanche are struggling right now with a third string goaltender fighting for their life and you know the Stars were talking about having to go to Jake Ottinger third string goaltender and you know, all these sorts of weird things. And the Golden Knights go to a quote-unquote backup goaltender who is a probable future Hall of Famer. Uh, it's an absolute luxury. And and we can talk about all the different, you know, outside noise and drama and everything that's that's happened with this. I think we've, you know, pretty well hammered it to death. But the one thing about it is, you know, it, it is a luxury for Pete DeBoer to, when they throw two back-to-backs in a series at you, and, and say, all right, well, I'm just going to go to my Hall of Fame goaltender. You know, let him let him strap on the gold pads and and let's go. And and I don't. There's not what what coach left in in these playoffs can come close to being able to say that if you know these series coming up, say you know have two back to backs. Now, I mean, I'm not afraid to say this. Like, I'll throw this out there. Personally, I think Mark Mark Andre Fleury's played his last game for the Knights. I don't think we're going to see him play again because I think going forward, Robin Leonard is going to get every back to back. I think if they get to a game seven, depending on what happens in game six, but I think if we get to a game seven, like Robin Leonard starts. And I think if you have back to backs going forward, if they advance, Robin Leonard is going to start. But to get to this point, they needed two goalies and potentially going forward, they, they need two goalies. And there's a lot of other teams that have, you know, rolled a rolled craps on the table because they haven't had enough goaltending and you know to get through this yeah so it'll be interesting to you see what DeBoer might ultimately end up doing for those that are unaware if a uh, game seven is necessary that would actually be played back to back along with game six but you know when asked about whether game six would factor into his goalie decision for game seven or basically how he would approach his goalie setup for those two games. Uh, DeBoer said today, basically, I'm not even thinking about Game 7. If there is a Game 7, I'll think about it. Until then, I'm 100% focused on Game 6, basically, and closing the series out there. So we'll certainly see who he elects to go with for that Game 6, as you certainly alluded to, Dave. You think it'll be Robin Leonard. 
Uh, I certainly think it'll be Robin Leonard as well, and I'd be pretty surprised if we end up seeing anything different. Uh, One last thing before we get out of here to pivot to non-Vancouver news for just a second. The Knights made a big hire uh, this past week. They hired Manny Viveros to be their AHL coach. He will be the first ever coach of the Henderson Silver Knights after Rocky Thompson, who was the Chicago Wolves coach for three years when the Knights were uh, their AHL affiliate or NHL affiliate, uh, left the organization. He is expected to take a role with an NHL team. It is highly anticipated, rumored, etc., that he will end up being an assistant coach with the San Jose Sharks. But for whatever reason, that has not been made official yet. So we'll see when that is able to be announced. Uh, but the big takeaway, uh, Manny Viveros, new AHL coach for the Henderson Silver Knights. We hopped on a Zoom call with him after he was officially hired. Dave, just for, what were some of your initial impressions of the new bench boss? Well, I thought it was interesting just that, you know, he's got kind of a WHL connection, which a lot of the guys in this organization seem to have. Uh, not, you know, directly and, you know, with Kelly McCrimmon, it wasn't somebody that came from the Brandon Wheat Kings, but I'm sure that familiarity helped. But, you know, more than anything, what jumped out to me is actually that Manny Viveros was an assistant coach with the Edmonton Oilers in 2018-19, started with Tom McClellan. And then Tom McClellan was fired like 20 games into that season. He wrote it out and then wasn't hired again in the NHL. And he had publicly stated he had hoped to stay in professional hockey hopes to stay in the NHL and what he ended up having to do was go back to the WHL major major juniors and coach in Spokane and won there again what I think it shows is his ability to win and, and coach and develop younger players and relate to them you know he talked about kind of the relationship you have to develop the way that you know younger players nowadays want to be coached and and taught all those sorts of things. And, and, you know, the AHL, the Silver Knights, as much as it's going to be about winning, it's about development. And Pete DeBoer talked about kind of a synergy, you know, between the NHL level club and sort of the systems and what they're doing and working that in to the AHL level so that when guys get called up, there's a seamless transition. And, you know, but within that, there's still room to to try to win. And it'll be interesting, you know, how Manny Viveros is able to kind of put his fingerprints sort of on the program i guess you could say and and still work within sort of the knights franchise philosophy and and the system that seems to sort of trickle from the top down yeah what was interesting to me kind of listening to the press conference and a question i had going into it was how easy was that synergy going to be and it sounds like it's going to be real easy uh veros is kind of known for playing a similar style to what the knights have kind of been playing under coach pete DeBoer. He likes up-tempo hockey. He likes to kind of be on the attack. He likes to send that fourth defenseman in the rush whenever possible. So it really sounds like he's kind of a philosophical fit for this organization and the style of hockey uh, that it wants to play. Uh, Like you said, Dave, he's had a ton of success in junior hockey with the Western Hockey League, which, of course, is where Kelly McCrimmon comes from with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Uh, He was the WHL Coach of the Year in 2018, I believe, after winning the WHL Playoff Championship. Uh, His team in Spokane was fourth in the WHL when their season paused and their season ultimately got canceled because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So he has, you know, a pretty solid track record 
you know, at a lower level. And of course he had the kind of that brief stint in the NHL. So this seems like a natural fit for him to kind of, you know, try his hand in the, the median level uh, of the AHL and see how it's going to go. But certainly it seems like a uh, promising and interesting hire for the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this latest edition of the Golden Edge podcast. We hope to talk to you guys real soon, whether or not the Knights win or lose these next few games against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, We have a lot of things that we're kind of trying to work out behind the scenes that we're really excited about, and we hope that you guys stick with us as we continue to figure those things out. Uh, As a reminder, this podcast is sponsored by the DeCastro Verde Law Group, and it is also presented by DoorDash, Sunday Ticket, and Favor, drinkafavor.com. Please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We've got so much written content up on the site for you guys to check out. Uh, whatever you need to read about the Golden Knights, I'm sure we have it for you. Uh, and of course, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Whatever you do to podcast, we would appreciate it if you did it to this one. Uh, for Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily Favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.